0: The Bible Live is your opportunity to listen to the Bible, a 15 to 20 minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout on this annual excursion through the Word, Soapy Dollar. All right, here we are thanking you, as always, for joining with us in this journey through the scriptures each and every evening each and every year. We are in the second book now of the Bible. We have read the complete book of Genesis. The first book began in a garden, ended in a coffin in Egypt, with the coffin being that of Joseph, who died at the age of 110. But he made them remember that God is going to take you out of Egypt. God is going to return you because we are the people of the covenant. And part of that covenant was God was going to plant them in the land of Canaan that land of his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made them promise that when you are taken out, you will take me with you. And they, of course, do that. When God delivered them under the leadership of Moses, they took the earthly remains of Joseph with them and buried him in Canaan. Well, we pick up in Exodus chapter 19. God has delivered them from Egypt through his servant Moses. And these 10 plagues that he sent upon them, these miraculous acts, God delivered them and served as a witness as well to the people of Egypt. Out of Egypt, they have taken about a month to arrive in the wilderness of Sinai and at the base of Mount Sinai. We're going to hear the Ten Commandments presented to the people of Israel tonight for the first time. But right now, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, Psalm 18. We read the first 19 verses yesterday. Let's pick up at verse 20 through 29 on The Bible Live. Psalm 18, verses 20-29 The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He compensated me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. For all His laws are constantly before me. I have never abandoned His principles. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right because of the innocence of my hands in His sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the wicked, you show yourself hostile. You rescue those who are humble, but you humiliate the proud. Lord, you have brought light to my life. My God, you light up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. End of reading, Psalm 18 verses 20 through 29. This is The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And that's what we are called to do, place our faith and trust in God Himself. We express that faith, that trust in God by obeying Him, and then we see. That's when our lives take on that miraculous element. The Christian life is not supposed to be some kind of a boring, humdrum, straight-laced existence just towing the line and checking off boxes of what we did and didn't do. It's a dynamic relationship with God himself. A life characterized by the miraculous, victory over our selfishness and our sin, selfless giving of ourselves in benefit of others in the name of the Lord. God doing things that we could not do of our own, things that have no other explanation. Of course, people will try to give them other explanations, but we will know in our hearts that it has been God at work in us, with us, and through us. That's what the life with God is supposed to be about. We read about Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the New Testament, Paul and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the apostles in the first century church. Wow, isn't it amazing what God did? But we don't see that anymore. Well, yes, we do. We see that continually, God doing miracles and lives being transformed and changed and redeemed. It's all around us. God still does work and do miracles in lives And if your life isn't characterized by the miraculous, if you're not experiencing joy and victory and excitement and thrill, the adventure of the Christian life, then maybe it's time you reevaluate and say, do I really know the God of the Bible? Am I really involved in a genuine relationship with him? Is he at work in me and with me and through my life? Because if the God of the universe invades your existence, your life, there is going to be a change. You're going to be transformed. And part of that is joy and peace. And then also there's going to be power to live as you ought. You're going to see fruit, fruit of, of transformed life and fruit of ministry as you minister into the lives of other people. We're going to turn now to Exodus chapter 19, God at work with the people of Israel. After escaping through the Red Sea now, the Hebrews traveled through the wilderness. And they've arrived at Mount Sinai, God's holy mountain, where Moses had received the mandate to go and to call on Pharaoh to let God's people go. There they received the Ten Commandments and instructions for building a tabernacle, a mobile worship center for them as they move through the wilderness. And through Israel's experiences here, we learn about the importance of obedience in our relationship with God. As God begins to nation build, He begins to transform, transforming individual lives as homes and families and individuals are changed to follow God and then changing an entire nation. Let's listen and watch what happens on the Bible Live. Exodus life. 19, 1 through twenty two twenty four. Exodus 19 The Israelites arrived in the wilderness of Sinai exactly two months after they left Egypt. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the base of Mount Sinai and set up camp there. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called out to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the descendants of Jacob, the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I brought you to myself and carried you on eagles' wings. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the nations of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Give this message to the Israelites. Moses returned from the mountain and called together the leaders of the people and told them what the Lord had said. They all responded together, We will certainly do everything the Lord asks of us. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a thick cloud so the people themselves can hear me as I speak to you. Then they will always have confidence in you. Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Then the Lord told Moses, Go down and prepare the people for my visit. Purify them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothing. Be sure they are ready on the third day, for I will come down upon Mount Sinai as all the people watch. Set boundary lines that the people may not pass. Warn them, be careful do not go up on the mountain or even touch its boundaries those who do will certainly die any people or animals that cross the boundary must be stoned to death or shot with arrows they must not be touched by human hands the people must stay away from the mountain until they hear one long blast from the ram's horn then they must gather at the foot of the mountain so moses went down to the people he purified them for worship and had them wash their clothing he told them Get ready for an important event two days from now, and until then abstain from having sexual intercourse. On the morning of the third day, there was a powerful thunder and lightning storm, and a dense cloud came down upon the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain shook with a violent earthquake. As the horn blast grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply for all to hear. The Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses climbed the mountain. Then the Lord told Moses, Go back down and warn the people not to cross the boundaries. They must not come up here to see the Lord, for those who do will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves, or I will destroy them. But, Lord, the people cannot come up on the mountain, Moses protested. You already told them not to. You told me to set boundaries around the mountain and to declare it off limits. But the Lord said, Go down anyway and bring Aaron back with you. In the meantime, do not let the priests or the people cross the boundaries to come up here. If they do, I will punish them. So Moses went down to the people and told them what the Lord had said. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 20 Then God instructed the people as follows, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Do not worship any other gods besides me. Do not make idols of any kind, whether in the shape of birds or animals or fish. You must never worship or bow down to them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not share your affection with any other God. I do not leave unpunished the sins of those who hate me, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. But I lavish my love on those who love me and obey my commands, even for a thousand generations. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse His name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days a week are set apart for your daily duties and regular work. But the seventh day is a day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any kind of work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Then he rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God will give you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that your neighbor owns when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn, and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You tell us what God says, and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us. If He does, we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses said, for God has come in this way to show you His awesome power. From now on, let your fear of Him keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses entered into the deep darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. You are witnesses that I have spoken to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make or worship idols of silver or gold. The altars you make for me must be simple altars of earth. Offer on such altars your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Build altars in the places where I remind you who I am, and I will come and bless you there. If you build altars from stone, use only uncut stones. Do not chip or shape the stones with a tool, for that would make them unfit for holy use. And you may not approach my altar by steps. If you do, someone might look up under the skirts of your clothing and see your nakedness. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 21 Here are some other instructions you must present to Israel if you buy a hebrew slave he is to serve for only six years set him free in the seventh year and he will owe you nothing for his freedom if he was single when he became your slave and then married afterward only he will go free in the seventh year but if he was married before he became a slave then his wife will be freed with him if his master gave him a wife while he was a slave and they had sons or daughters then the man will be free in the seventh year but his wife and children will still belong to his master. But the slave may plainly declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I would rather not go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will belong to his master forever. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she will not be freed at the end of six years as the men are if she does not please the man who bought her he may allow her to be bought back again but he is not allowed to sell her to foreigners since he is the one who broke the contract with her and if the slave-girl's owner arranges for her to marry his son he may no longer treat her as a slave-girl but he must treat her as his daughter if he himself marries her and then takes another wife he may not reduce her food or clothing or fail to sleep with her as his wife If he fails in any of these three ways, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. Anyone who hits a person hard enough to cause death must be put to death. But if it is an accident and God allows it to happen, I will appoint a place where the slayer can run for safety. However, if someone deliberately attacks and kills another person, then the slayer must be dragged even from my altar and put to death. Anyone who strikes father or mother must be put to death kidnappers must be killed whether they are caught in possession of their victims or have already sold them as slaves anyone who curses father or mother must be put to death now suppose two people quarrel and one hits the other with a stone or fist causing injury but not death if the injured person is able to walk again even with a crutch the assailant will be innocent nonetheless the assailant must pay for time lost because of the injury and must pay for the medical expenses If a male or female slave is beaten and dies, the owner must be punished. If the slave recovers after a couple of days, however, then the owner should not be punished since the slave is the owner's property. Now suppose two people are fighting and in the process they hurt a pregnant woman so her child is born prematurely. If no further harm results, then the person responsible must pay damages in the amount the woman's husband demands and the judges approve. But if any harm results, then the offender must be punished according to the injury. If the result is death, the offender must be executed. If an eye is injured, injure the eye of the person who did it. If a tooth gets knocked out, knock out the tooth of the person who did it. Similarly, the payment must be hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. If an owner hits a male or female slave in the eye and the eye is blinded, then the slave may go free because of the eye. And if an owner knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave, the slave should be released in payment for the tooth. If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull must be stoned and his flesh may not be eaten. In such a case, however, the owner will not be held liable. Suppose, on the other hand, that the owner knew the bull had gored people in the past, yet the bull was not kept under control. If this is true, and if the bull kills someone, it must be stoned, and the owner must also be killed. However, the dead person's relatives may accept payment from the owner of the bull to compensate for the loss of life. The owner will have to pay whatever is demanded. The same principle applies if the bull gores a boy or a girl. But if the bull gores a slave, either male or female, the slave's owner is to be given 30 silver coins in payment, and the bull must be stoned. Suppose someone digs or uncovers a well and fails to cover it, and then an ox or a donkey falls into it. The owner of the well must pay in full for the dead animal, but then gets to keep it. If someone's bull injures a neighbor's bull, and the injured bull dies, then the two owners must sell the live bull and divide the money between them. Each will also own half of the dead bull. But if the bull was known from past experience to gore, yet its owner failed to keep it under control, the money will not be divided. The owner of the living bull must pay in full for the dead bull, but then gets to keep it. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Exodus 22. A fine must be paid by anyone who steals an ox or sheep and then kills or sells it. For oxen, the fine is five oxen for each one stolen. For sheep, the fine is four sheep for each one stolen. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking into a house and is killed in the process, the person who killed the thief is not guilty. But if it happens in daylight, the one who killed the thief is guilty of murder. A thief who is caught must pay in full for everything that is stolen. If payment is not made, the thief must be sold as a slave to pay the debt. If someone steals an ox or a donkey or a sheep and it is recovered alive, then the thief must pay double the value. If an animal is grazing in a field or vineyard and the owner lets it stray into someone else's field to graze, then the animal's owner must pay damages in the form of high-quality grain or grapes. If a fire gets out of control and goes into another person's field, destroying the sheaves or the standing grain, then the one who started the fire must pay for the lost crops. Suppose someone entrusts money or goods to a neighbor, and they are stolen from the neighbor's house. If the thief is found, the fine is double the value of what was stolen. But if the thief is not found, God will determine whether or not it was the neighbor who stole the property. Suppose there is a dispute between two people as to who owns a particular ox, donkey, sheep, article of clothing, or anything else. Both parties must come before God for a decision, and the person whom God declares guilty must pay double to the other. Now suppose someone ask a neighbor to care for a donkey, ox, sheep, or any other animal, but it dies or is injured or gets away, and there is no eyewitness to report just what happened. The neighbor must then take an oath of innocence in the presence of the Lord. The owner must accept the neighbor's word, and no payment will be required. But if the animal or property was stolen, payment must be made to the owner. If it was attacked by a wild animal, the carcass must be shown as evidence, and no payment will be required. If someone borrows an animal from a neighbor, and it is injured or killed, and if the owner was not there at the time, the person who borrowed it must pay for it. But if the owner is there, no payment is required, and no payment is required if the animal was rented because this loss was covered by the rental fee. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged to anyone and sleeps with her, he must pay the customary dowry and accept her as his wife. But if her father refuses to let her marry him, the man must still pay the money for her dowry. A sorceress must not be allowed to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal must be executed. Anyone who sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. Do not oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Do not exploit widows or orphans. If you do and they cry out to me, then I will surely help them. My anger will blaze forth against you and I will kill you with a sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children will become fatherless. End of reading, Exodus 19:1 through 22, 24. I'm broken, but you this is the Bible live. Thou shall not go away. Here we have the big ten, not the ten suggestions or recommendations, the ten commandments. These are the foundation principles that they would build a society upon, that they would build a nation upon, as people of God, as people of faith. Now, we always have to keep this in mind that although there is something earthly going on here, there is a nation being formed, a people that is being called out, it is still very much heavenly. We are part of that legacy and heritage, even now, we as Gentiles not of the nation of Israel, not of the lineage biologically of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we are of the lineage of faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we always have to keep those things in mind. Here we have this very special moment. The nation is gathered, gleaning right now these principles that would unite them, protect them, would guide them not only individually to be godly good men and women strong families and a strong society but also guide them to be a great witness to other nations the ten commandments were necessary for this new nation that god is building At the foot of Mount Sinai here, God shows his people the beauty of his laws. They reflect his character as it could be lived out here in human society. The commandments were designed to lead Israel to a life of practical holiness, individuals, families, communities, and the nation as a whole. So they could see the character and the nature of God in these principles that are laid out before them. But almost immediately, we see them begin to take a wrong view of the commandments. And by the time of Jesus, later on, Most people looked at the commandments in a wrong way. Let me tell you at least three ways that I was thinking of that we could understand wrongly, erroneously, the commandments. One, is to think that the Ten Commandments are a way to get earthly treasure, earthly prosperity. That was very strong impetus. We saw that in the time of Jesus as well. As you try to follow the Ten Commandments, they are not a promise that if you do that you're going to get rich and you're going to be popular and you're going to be successful, at least as the world understands the word success. Secondly, the Ten Commandments are not even an instrument of salvation. They were never intended to bring spiritual salvation. The only way to ever be saved, the only way to be made acceptable to a pure and holy God is to be absolutely perfect, and no one is. No one can keep these Ten Commandments. So they were never intended to be an instrument of salvation. They were intended to be a pointer, a road sign that pointed us to a Savior, In the New Testament, it says that the law is like a tutor that brings us to Jesus, brings us to the Savior, uh, because the law makes us see our own wickedness, our own selfishness, our own moral failures and makes us see our need of a Redeemer. The Ten Commandments were never an instrument of salvation. If they were, then no one would ever be saved because no one can ever keep perfectly those Ten Commandments. And then finally, we can grow superstitious about the Ten Commandments, a means to avoid invasions, defeat, or maybe to avoid natural disasters. If we have a copy of the Ten Commandments, that there'll never be a hurricane or tornado, there'll never be a flood. We can take a kind of a superstitious view of the Ten Commandments and hang them around our neck or put them on our wall and think that that in and of itself gains points with God and avoids bad things happening to us in this world. All of those are wrong, seeking prosperity or salvation or a superstitious way to avoid difficulties and hardships in life. Another thing, though, we have to realize is that if we are to obey the Ten Commandments, with what attitude are we to obey the Ten Commandments? We are to obey them, but we are to obey them not as an end within itself. Obedience to God's laws is not an end within itself. If you do make obedience an end within itself, that leads to legalism. If you're checking off lists, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, you start measuring out the number of tea leaves to make sure you include your tithe. Legalism sneaks in and legalism destroys. It'll either crush you. When you try to follow the laws of God, that will become such a terrible burden that will crush you and lead you to be defeated and give up in despair. Or it would lead you to prideful arrogance that, oh, I'm so good. Obedience is not an end in itself. Obedience is to be an expression of faith. We obey God because we trust him and his power at work to save us and to transform our lives. Well, they have it tonight, the Ten Commandments. These powerful moral laws that are laid down as a foundation for this new nation of people. And almost immediately, then we see Moses, after the Ten Commandments are presented, he begins to expand upon those and give examples of what would be some practical applications of those Ten Principles to some of these matters of daily life. The way that people interact with one another. Now he begins to talk about other laws, about marriage, about some religious laws, some laws about those who are caught stealing and so on and how they are to be punished. There are a number of principles brought out, but he's giving examples now of how the Ten Commandments are to be applied. There are moral laws, there are civil laws, there are religious and ritualistic laws like festival days and foods they have to eat and so on. We'll talk about all the of this Bible more Live as we move on Sophie through Dollar the book of Exodus. Sophie reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndall House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to the Bible Live Post Office Box 18888. That's the Bible Live P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, BibleLive.com.